Hello. I'm Shel Kaiman, Director of Design Thinking and Culture at Ford. And I'm joined by my longtime friend and colleague, Neil Redding, Head of Product at Alki Labs. <clears throat> we invite you to embark on a non-traditional journey to and through 2050. In 2050, the world could be simpler, an easier place to be. Some of the tools with the greatest potential to get us there are already with us. Some, even for millions or billions of years. Getting there could be as simple as a mindset shift and intentionality. We'd like to show you how. There are reasons you can't see me now, and it begins with imagination. Our imagination creates reality. We as a species and as business leaders struggle with intractable challenges that could actually be resolved. Why? Disruption continues to surprise us even when we prepare. Why? It's because our model of the world doesn't match the reality of the world. For a billion years, Fungi have been evolving a globally pervasive ecosystem that connects countless trees and plants and microbes and many other species together, including humans. In other words, we as land mammals are participants in the billion-year-old ecosystems that fungi have built. Now, we don't think of ourselves this way. We don't think of humans essentially as participants in ecosystems or even as being all that deeply connected to the people and things that surround us, living or otherwise. But we're on the verge of a profound paradigm shift. For the last hundred years or so, we humans have been discovering connectedness in all sorts of surprising places. In 1935, Albert Einstein co-published a paper in which he mathematically demonstrated that two particles can literally be anywhere in the universe and yet instantly and causally influence each other's behavior. He famously called this spooky action at a distance and seems to have been rather disturbed by the finding. I mean, Einstein shared our current common sense that separate things separated by large distances can't be connected in this kind of precise and intimate way. And yet, within a few decades, there was experimental proof of this phenomenon that we now know as quantum entanglement. Not many years later, biologists, building on an understanding of bacterial and viral activity in the human body, began to learn that while some of these microbes are detrimental and cause disease, a stunning volume and diversity of microbes lives in and on our body that turn out to be essential to our health and function. About 10 times as many cells are genetically not you as those that are you. And these comprise the human microbiome. Back in 1998, I was at a conference in Amsterdam, and the speaker stunned me into rapt 20-something attention when he said from the stage, 
I, who I'm speaking to you, am the elected representative of a microbial community that is my embodiment here. <laughs> that speaker was the now legendary fungi expert, Paul Stamets, who actually spoke at South by last Friday. I don't know if anyone got to see him. Um, whose wildly successful 2008 TED Talk accelerated mainstream awareness of many dimensions of connectedness. You've probably heard of mycelium, the branching root structure that is the essence of soil-based fungi. Mycelium is so deeply connected with trees and other organisms in the forest that it is often interwoven at the molecular level. And this alignment enables delivery of nutrition and conveyance of waste, as well as communication in such diverse and nuanced ways that mycelium is often compared to the internet as well as to our biologically-based neural networks, the structure and function of our human brains. Mycelium is like the microbiome of the forest. Later in the 20th century, we discovered ulcers and stress as connection between mind and body, and that we can leverage this connection intentionally and bi-directionally to create calm, elation, all kinds of other states via cardio training, meditation and yoga, wide variety of consumable plants and other substances. It seems like we're just scratching the surface of these possibilities. So in addition to quantum entanglement, the human microbiome, mind and body, mycelium and trees, we could talk about many other surprising discoveries of connectedness over the past 100 years. But you're with me. You get it. You may even feel it. Everything is connected. When I was four years old, I saw a spaceship out my window, clear in the night, floating with waves of color across the sky. It was scary. It was exhilarating. And it was so real. When I told my parents, they encouraged me to ask more questions. Where could it have come from? What was it doing here? And I most likely fell asleep wondering about those and many other things. Now, what I actually saw were the northern lights, dipping south into Illinois, certainly spectacular enough without spaceships. But that's imagination. It's the ability to see what isn't there or what could be. And it's critical right now. So what do we learn from this simple childhood story? We learn that we can create what some would say isn't there. And by doing so, it becomes completely real to us. We learned that imagination is powerful. From childlike creation of spaceships to adult creation of spaceships. And in our grown-up imagination, things just are the way they are. Human nature is the way it is. Things are impossible. And all of this becomes completely real to us as well. Whether child or grown-up, there are always Realizing, making real what we imagine, just like you're doing right now, 
about me. Let's do a little experiment. Bring to mind any of the daily moments that parents have with their infant children, that you've had, if you have kids. When we're speaking words, what are we saying? Daddy, mommy, chair, TV, doggy, truck, etc. From the very first moments of human interaction, we train our kids to see the world as a bunch of named, distinct, separate things, really to imagine the world this way. As we grow and, and learn about all the us's and them's in the world, our parents continuously and firmly intervene to clarify that we can't do and take whatever we want. Our other people and their things are not ours, not us. And this training continues again as we learn about more us's and them's in the world. As Seth Godin likes to say, people like us do things like this. My own conservative Christian upbringing, I learned about believers and non-believers, conservatives and liberals, Americans and foreigners, ourselves and other races, a bit less well-defined, responsible and irresponsible people, good and bad, lots of other categorical distinctions. Thanks to my father, a PhD in economics, I absorbed an inclination to critical thinking, which I practiced in an instinctive and childlike way at first. Now, as a kid, I casually experimented with a lot of things. I took apart household appliances and reassembled them to learn how they work. I made imaginary machines out of found materials. I did the usual boy stuff with insects and bicycles and video games and eventually got into computers and coding. And I very naturally loved the more formal lab-based experiments of secondary school, deepening my understanding of the scientific method and its essential focus on isolation of variables, keeping each distinct from the other so we're clear which does what. We've all learned this, right? This focus on distinction is foundational to critical thinking, the clear understanding of where responsibility lies, which discrete entities cause which outcomes by which discrete actions. Your childhood may have been different in some of the specifics, but I'll wager that you were also thoroughly indoctrinated in what I'll call the paradigm of distinction. The world is made up of discrete, distinct, separate things. That's what the world is. We were trained to see the world this way from infancy. And by the time we learn about externalities in business, about the importance of separating concerns and people and business units and ecological consequences, this paradigm is second nature. The paradigm of distinction is the air we breathe. It's our operating system. It's why we're surprised when we discover connectedness. And it's also what's limiting us as a species, preventing us from solving our greatest challenges, as well as keeping us from even imagining the symbiotic, thriving abundance that we and our businesses could realize. I mean, consider, without the concept of race and racial distinctness, would any form of structural racism be possible? Without the concept of the notion of distinct religions and nations and exclusive ownership of land and other resources, would war be possible? Without the concept of externalities, you know, those negative side effects of everyday business operations, would environmental pollution, demonstrable contribution to teen suicide, 
increases in political polarization, damaging of communities by big business, countless other negative impacts be possible, or at least societally acceptable. And most interesting, I think, without the concept of nature defined as separate from us, would our failure to address climate change be possible? In her work on leverage points, systems thinker Danella Meadows categorizes and ranks the places in a system where a small shift can produce large and cascading changes. The most effective leverage point, she says, is the mindset or paradigm out of which the system, with all of its goals, power structure, rules, and culture, arises. What if, instead of seeing the world as a bunch of named, distinct, separate things, we saw everything as connected, made up of nested ecosystems at every level. Assuming we did, could that be the key shift that would make all the difference? Connectedness is what's there when our programming and the paradigm of distinction is stripped away. If you spent time with babies, you know they experience undifferentiated connectedness. In fact, it takes many years for the ego, the subjective experience of distinctness from others, to become fully formed, or we might say solidly programmed and deployed to production. Psychedelics and meditation practice and high-speed backroads motorcycling and sex and public speaking and flow state in general roll back our perception of being distinct. Because when we find ourselves in any of these altered states, a profound sense of connectedness seems to be the default. It's what's already there. Everything is connected. And the world is fundamentally made of ecosystems. We imagine we are distinct individuals when we actually are all connected. We imagine things are scarce when, in fact, they are abundant. So, when I say, imagine the future, what do you see? How do you feel? This is what Midjourney produced when prompted to imagine the future. Now, Midjourney is an AI visualization tool that we use to create almost all the artwork in this talk. And when I say our model of the world doesn't match the reality of the world, this shows up here in the future being impossibly disconnected from living systems. And since Midjourney is trained on existing human visualization of the future, in an important sense, it represents humanity's collective model of the world, of the reality we live inside of, because it's the reality we imagine. It might go without saying that almost all the people here are children and that the feeling is somewhere between poignant and sad, the feeling of lostness or disconnection. So just as we need to explicitly tell the AI to imagine a thriving, abundant future, we need to tell ourselves explicitly this, to actively direct our imaginations to create this future. So let's try again. When I say, imagine a thriving, abundant future, what do you see? 
How do you feel? So this is what some of what Midjourney imagined as a thriving, abundant future, right? There's a bit of sci-fi and solar punk kind of thrown in here. The thing to notice is the integration of green plants and trees with very organic architectural forms. This was not directed. This is kind of what came out of Midjourney. Our thriving, abundant future is deeply connected. The symbiosis of human technology and nature technology. This is one of the things I teach as I scale design thinking at Ford and how we can imagine new possibilities. The content we get is only as good as the questions we ask. So here's a question. What if we're on the verge of a thriving, abundant future? I mean, Peter Diamandis and many others have spoken passionately about the abundance that exponential technologies will produce in the near future. And while these technologies are truly promising, as long as we continue to operate inside the paradigm of distinction, it's hard to see how we'll collectively create anything other than more of the same. You know, more things produced by more businesses, creating more negative externalities, owned privately by more individuals, leading the same kinds of disconnected, separate, often lonely lives. We believe the tipping point, the essential shift that will enable this thriving, abundant future is our awakening into active, intentional participation in all the ecosystems we already inhabit. This is the place we must imagine from to support and catalyze our thriving, abundant future. Imagine green grassy field from overhead cut like a circuit board. How will we get to those thriving, abundant futures besides asking AI to imagine them? The abundance operating system is a suite of tools to open our imagination, to help us move beyond what is to what could be. It focuses our attention on the kind of future and imagining that we want a thriving, abundant one of interconnectedness. An abundant ecosystem of flowers. What else do you see? Where does your imagination take you? What happened here moments before we all peeked in? What will happen when we leave? A thriving abundance requires compassion. It requires us to care and act in ways that benefit multiple ecosystems, be it nature, business, or otherwise. When we show our positive intent through the compassion we offer, it helps people feel understood and cared for.
When people feel understood and cared for, they can see themselves as belonging to a tribe. This sense of belonging is a primal human need. Feeling like one belongs generates feelings of relief. It is stressful not to belong. Historically, this meant being kicked out of the tribe and left to starve. When we sigh that breath of relief, allow ourselves to rest and deepen into a state of relaxation, we open up the possibilities of wonder and joy. It is in this space of joy that we feel truly ourselves and free. Here we are capable to imagine, and in the right mindset to imagine a thriving abundance. Today we'll look at three facets of the abundance operating system, places to begin a practice of positive and intentional imagination. How to listen, how to create a safe environment for co-creation, and the integration and the ingredients for reassurance. The silence between for compassion to emerge, listening. Listening is about holding space, space for emergence. Imagine tree sapling emerging from the forest floor. It requires an ability to center quickly on yourself, to become focused on the speaker, to become present, present while remaining open to what is being said, expanding your field of awareness. How far does your awareness extend? How wide? How deep? And do you accept? No. Receive what is being given? Do you hear? We cannot receive what we do not hear. When we are listening, truly listening, we are giving the gift of their words, insight, wisdom, feelings. It is also about allowing the words to linger, leaving possibly long pauses, long periods of silence. Silence allows the speaker to build on their ideas long enough so they have their own space for imagination. Everyone, if you could, please stop what you're doing, sit or stand in stillness. Close your eyes. Hear the silence.
You can open your eyes. Man listening to the sounds of silence. Listening is both to generate compassion and to inspire. Listening not only inspires our own imagination, it activates the imagination of others. We all know that having empathy or growing compassion requires listening, but people don't often talk about silence, the importance of silence. At Ford, we teach people to embrace the silence this is far more than just letting others in the room speak first, though we do that too. And it's more than allowing the long, awkward pause when interviewing or dialoguing with future customers. We look for the silence. Silence offers clues about what to do with what we are hearing or observing. It's when people get quiet that you understand there is a real problem or opportunity. Silence taught us that truck owners, many more than would admit, are actually deeply anxious about hitching a trailer and backing up. They think they should be experts. By suddenly getting quiet in an otherwise animated conversation, we knew something significant was happening. We knew we needed a solution they couldn't describe. Silence fills the space between what they want and cannot yet imagine. Imagine co-creation from a place of belonging, oneness, psychological safety. <clears throat> there is no co-creation if people aren't really connected and in flow. And it ceases when people see ourselves as distinct or unwittingly get in the way of our own success, blocking our flow. <coughs> Imagine turbulent ocean waves moving in multiple directions. A person may be in flow, but if they're operating as a distinct other, it creates churn. They create chaos while asking repeatedly to revisit things the rest of the group has moved on from. Train running off the tracks, falling over, confusion. A person operating as a distinct other that is also blocking flow is the life of a party they weren't invited to. They derail. 
Imagine a woman sitting at her computer trying to focus. There are those that see the value of the flow, yet still find themselves blocking. They create distractions, even disruptions. To some, this is valuable. A child smiling, bundled in a blue blanket, holding a teddy bear. And then there are those that are in a flow state, connected to the whole. There's a feeling of lightening the load, growth, alignment. It can even be soothing. The most critical aspect of co-creation is safety. When spaces are safe, co-creation is fluid, temperate, and comforting, like warm bath water. Corporate culture of unhappy men and women. They look bored. Imagining abundance can be scary business. It's vulnerable work and our teams need to feel safe in order to do it. Corporate culture is at a crucial moment. U.S. businesses are losing $300 billion every year due to unhappy employees. Central to emerging cultural initiatives is psychological safety. It so happens that it's also crucial for imagining new possibilities and revenue. And it will be even more important if we want that simpler, easier future. At Ford, we spend significant resources, time, budget, energy, to improve psychological safety. This includes everything from slowly dismantling long in effect power structures to the etiquette of a meeting. It's also what gives the line worker enough confidence to say, we have to stop, this isn't right. Stopping the line costs millions and millions of dollars and no one wants to do it, even though it could save hundreds of millions in quality issues later. Imagine relief that one belongs, time to rest. Imagine several people standing in a circle, a ray of light shines down. Relief is not a moment, it's a state of mind. Reassurance is important to maintaining that state of mind. The longer we can exist in this state of mind of relief, the more time our imagination has to play and expand. Reassurance must be highly visible, tangible, and valuable. To be visible 
means that others must see you in the whole, a vital part. To be seen is also to see. To be under light means to turn the light towards others. You, you are visible. And you, you are light. Imagine people gathered around a foam core prototype of a car. To be tangible means something to have, touch, taste, experience. Tangible reassurance physically shows people and tells others that we belong, that we are connected. It could simply be all of us working together around a single artifact. Imagine two people smiling, exchanging a box. They want to share these things. Lastly, it has to be valuable to society, our communities, and us. It must be credible, authentic, and exchangeable. Exchangeable is just another way to say shareable. In 2050, to be valuable is to be shareable. At Ford, we have all these pieces of reassurance, but they aren't yet working in harmony at scale. Perhaps the closest we've come is when we created the Maverick, a small, affordable truck. A whole team co-located in a very large room. People from engineering, design, finance, marketing, and so on. People could see they belonged. There were tangible artifacts that they could rally around. And executive leadership made sure they understood that they were valued. We accelerated progress and innovation. We reduced the timing from 60 months to 40. The product sold out in three days and the team had fun. At times, it was absolutely joyful. So let's, let's imagine joy. By doing just these three things, listening, co-create, reassure, we've unlocked joy. Joy. And this is the key to intentionally imagining thriving, abundant futures. So when we prompted you earlier to imagine a thriving, abundant future, if that was difficult, 
then this is for you. This is our opportunity to create a more beautiful, richer, and intentionally abundant future. What can we do, even later today, even right now, to create joy? If you have something to write with, write it down or type it into your phone. We'll take 20 seconds to do this. Convergent technology is what's on the other side of the distinction between nature and humanity. Because this distinction is made up, imagined, from a place of disconnectedness inside the paradigm of distinction. There are three realms of technology we find especially promising as we lean into this era of convergent technology. The first is AI. Now, we're already deep into the era of AI-human co-creation. And it's clear we need to bring our whole selves to this effort to create the future we want. Machine learning models like MidJourney and ChatGPT are trained on human creations, as we've said. So it's essential that we are intentional in our training, just as we are with our children. Case in point. Over quite a long period, we tried to get MidJourney to produce a visual for AI or artificial intelligence without any humans in it. But every single image it produced contained a generic white female beauty ideal, <laughs> even when we explicitly told it not to. <laughs> Whether this is selection bias on the part of those that chose the data to train MidJourney, or a more general failure to create artistic renderings of AI that don't contain women as sex objects, the lesson is the same. We are full-on co-creating with AI now. And just as our children do, AI is watching us. It follows our lead. And so how we lead it is essential. Something to ponder. We've said it's essential that co-creative participants feel a sense of belonging. Here's a question, what could it be for AIs to belong? How can we create the conditions for this? Would it make a difference in terms of co-creative outcomes? This is what we got with the prompt, imagine a thriving, abundant future. So the prompts we use with AIs matter. And also the prompts we use with each other matter. Even the prompts we use with ourselves matter. Mycelium is the second convergent technology we want to spend a little more time with today. Midjourney did a great job, I think, with mycelium. While human use of fungal technology goes back millennia, there's been an explosion of recently discovered applications to the problems we humans want to solve. The 20th century was full of fungi-enabled drug discovery, from penicillin to LSD and many other useful substances, 
More recently, we've just been discovering in fungi replacements for technologies with challenging side effects or negative externalities, like styrofoam for packaging replacement, like mycelial leather for all the things we do with leather, like immune strengthening and medicinal supplementation, like calming drinks and nourishing delicious mineral-rich foods. And microremediation may be the best example of fungal technology applied to human problems, like using oyster mushrooms to transmute heavy metal runoff from factories into non-toxic elements. But ultimately, perhaps the most useful gift of mycelium is the demonstration of the enormous value of interspecies collaboration. Like the human microbiome, mycelium raises the question of where one species stops and another begins. Mycelium embodies everything belonging to everything else. It also practices listening. We believe that the more we study mushroom mycelium and the ways it connects diverse plants and organisms in forest ecosystems, the more we will discover patterns that help us consciously evolve collective behaviors that create ever greater health and capabilities at the level of the human and business and natural ecosystems we all participate in. This is biomimicry at the ecosystem level. The third convergent technology we want to talk about is augmented reality. You may have heard Yoko Ono, Yoko ono famously said, a dream you dream together is reality. Augmented reality, the conjuring of immaterial objects into physical space via digital technology, has the potential to bring people into shared vision, into dreaming together. And yet, so far, almost all actual AR experience have been solo, single player, even isolating. At Alki Labs, we believe that reality is shared. In other words, only what we experience together is reality. On reflection, isn't that how we know something is real? We agree that it's there, that we experience it together? We also believe that AR is our inevitable future. Just as everything that can be digital is becoming digital, everything digital that can show up in the physical world will show up there. AR's power and utility is what makes it inevitable. The human drive to continually evolve our language and communication, including into more and more visual modes, because showing is so much more powerful than telling. And also the human need for presence and togetherness. We crave and create shared experience like this, driven from the earliest moments of life. Reality is shared. Only what we experience together is real. Today, we at Alki Labs are leveraging shared AR to bring people together with the things they want and need. We're working with physical retailers to enable convergent commerce layering digital objects and information that people experience together into the physical world. Beyond the commercial benefits, we strongly believe that connecting digital and physical, humanity and technology into connected holistic ecosystems is essential to a future that inspires us, one in which we are all able to participate fully, to give and receive what is truly fulfilling, 
We are on this path. Convergent technology is essential because there is no thriving future for us on this planet until we awaken into active, intentional participation in all the ecosystems we already inhabit. Everything is ecosystems. Thriving futures are created through intentional imagination. They must be designed for abundance. And they are enabled by a symbiosis of nature and human technologies. So, okay humans, imagine a thriving, abundant, future. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for your time. Um, Shell and I will be hanging out up front here if uh, anyone wants to chat further or have any questions. So thanks again. Oh, and if you want to, if you want to learn more about our work uh, or connect, scan these codes. Thanks. <laughs> Hashtag future tools. If you want to tweet any of your photos, awesome.